This morning's big idea is this. Knowing that we are loved frees us to love others who, knowing that they are loved, are freed to love others who, knowing that they are loved, are free to love others who, no, no, don't worry, I'm not going to carry on like that for 20 minutes. But you get the picture, hopefully. We've been looking over the last few weeks. We took a break last week for our family service. But before that, we have been looking through the book of Ephesians. We started with the introduction where Paul reminds his readers of the good news of the gospel. And Dale did a fantastic introduction for us that week before Leslie took over and looked at how Paul explains the, per- the primary focus of grace within that good news. Then Kerry looked at Paul's passages about the differences between uh, those who are circumcised and uncircumcised in, in the church and did a really good job of helping us to think about what that means for us today. Before two weeks ago, Fiona talked about God's plan to include the Gentiles in his good news. And today we pick up at the end of the first great section of the book. The book can be divided into two halves and today's is the end of the first half of that letter. The second great prayer of Paul. And we need to remember that context As we look at that prayer, the context of the Ephesian church and their relationships with God and one another based on grace. That it's not about what they have done or who they are, but about what God has done and who he is that makes them Christians and that makes them a church. And that brings us to today's passage. And as it opens up, Paul prays, starts the same. He's going to pray to the Father. The Father who is the... Here, it's on the screen. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is a little play on words on the part of Paul. He is taking the word, the Greek word for father and the word for family. And he's saying, that, and in Greek, the word for family comes from the word for father. And he's saying, I'm praying to the father from whom every family gets their name. But why would he do this? I think it's because he's reminding the Ephesians that now they are Christians. Now that they are a church, they are also a family. They are a family together in Ephesus and they are part of God's family. The Old Testament speaks repeatedly about God's family. It refers to the nation of Israel as God's children. So Paul is saying, you all, Jews and Gentiles, are now one family together. All the families on the earth, which included the Jews and the Gentiles, are part of the family of God. So what does it mean to be a family? Let's see what Paul prays in the next passage. 
He prays that out of the glorious riches, he, we may, he may strengthen us with the power of his Holy Spirit in our innermost being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Paul is writing here to people who are already Christians. So what does he mean by he wants Christ to dwell in our hearts? We often talk about Jesus coming into our hearts when we become Christians and us coming into Christ. But here Paul is writing to the Ephesians who are already Christians. And he's saying that he, that he prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts. I think that if we want to understand this, we need to look at the next part of this passage where Paul says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. I think that's what he means. That what, that's what Paul means for us to have Christ dwell in our hearts. He means that we would be rooted and established in love. That it wouldn't just be something that splashes against us or something that is in us sometimes, but there's something that would go deep down into our hearts that would affect everything that we do. And the, may the power to, and may have power together with all Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that the Ephesians would know that they are God's family, that they are a family together. And that they are family of a people who are rooted and established in God's love. What would it mean for a church to have its foundations? For each person to have their foundations and for the church as a community to know that the love of God is the thing on which each of them stands. We'll be thinking about that more in a moment. Paul finishes this section of his prayer by praying this, that you may be, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Being rooted and established in love grasping how high and wide and long and deep the love of God is, is the thing that will fill us to the measure of the fullness of God. Knowing God's love in our lives is the measure of the fullness of God. Knowing how much we are loved is the measure to which we are fulfilled in God. 
you might think this is a bit strong. But Jesus said in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is likewise. Love your neighbour as yourself. That is the great, those are the greatest commandments, that we would love God and that we would love one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, a passage familiar to anyone who has been to a wedding in a church. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if, sorry, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I would encourage you to go away after this service, maybe tonight before you go to bed if you can find some quiet time, or this afternoon, and read 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's description of love. And this time, don't read it thinking of Christian weddings. Don't read it thinking of boyfriends, girlfriends, partners, marriages. Paul didn't mean it in that sense. Paul was talking to the Corinthians about the love they have for one another as a church. Go back, read it if you have the time. Love is the foundation of our lives with God and our life together as a church. And I want to apologize to you this morning because as I was preparing this sermon, the Lord convicted me that I have not prayed this prayer enough for you in the last two and a half years since I became your um, pastor. Don't get me wrong, we don't get all of this wrong. We're not a totally unloving people, thank God. But there is still room for improvement. There always will be. If only we could grasp or grasp, I'm not quite sure, I'm confused this morning. If only we could grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. There will always be more of God's love for you to know. There will always be more of God's love for me to know. There will always be more of God's love for us to share with one another and to show to his world around us. We are never completed and finished. We never have the whole of God's love because it is unimaginable. If only we could grasp how wide it is. Let's keep trying to grasp onto that love and understanding of it for us. Because wouldn't it be wonderful 
If because we knew how much we were loved, we never compared ourselves with one another. We gave thanks for one another's gifts. We loved and supported and helped one another. Wouldn't it be great if because we knew how much we were loved, we never needed to put others down to make ourselves feel better? but we would always speak well of one another. Wouldn't it be fantastic if, because we knew how much we were loved, we never gossiped about one another, that we always thought the best of one another? Wouldn't it be great if, because we knew how much we were loved, we celebrated one another's joy, and mourned one another's losses. Wouldn't it be great if because we knew how much we were loved, we could share all that we had? Wouldn't it be great if because we knew how much we were loved, we could stop hurrying and had time for one another and for God? You see, knowing that we are loved is transforming. And it's transforming to the degree that we know that we are loved. I'm going to say that again because I fell over it and I think it might be important. So I'm going to try it again. Knowing that we are loved is transforming. And it's transforming to the degree that we know that we are loved. In other words, if you know God loves you, it will change you and change the way you relate to other people. And the more you know God's love for you, the more you will be changed. If only we can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Having hopefully painted a picture of the possibilities of knowing that we are loved by God and loving others, I want to finish by asking how. And firstly, I want to rem us to remember that it doesn't depend on us. The vicar's not standing before you this morning, wagging his finger and telling you to try harder to love one another. Paul has great, taken great pains. Leslie opened it up for us fantastically a few weeks ago. That all that we have is due to God's grace. It's freely given. And that includes the knowledge of his love and the ability to love one another. Let's not forget that. But the goal here is to know how much we are loved and to be transformed by that love. And in order to do that, we need to choose to spend time with God. It's easy to know in our heads that we are loved. But if we don't spend time with those who love us, 
it sometimes becomes just that, head knowledge. Whereas the more time we spend in the presence of those who love us, the more we allow them to lavish that love upon us, the more that love, message of love, takes hold in our hearts. So let's choose to spend time with God, to allow him to share that, the knowledge of that love with us. Let's read our Bibles. Let's read other Christian books. Let's listen to sermons, not just from St. Paul's. Others are available. Vicar's giving you permission to listen to other sermons. They're probably better than mine anyway, so what's there to lose? Let's take time to worship him, to spend time enjoying his presence in prayer. Let's spend time with God, not because it's a job we need to tick off, a task we need to do, something we need to get done before we can carry on with the rest of our day. Let's spend time with God and allow him to remind us of his great love for us. Let's give him a chance to help us, to give us the grace to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This morning's big idea was this. Knowing that we are loved frees us to love others who, knowing that they are loved, are freed to love others, etc., etc. But let's remember this is all part of his grace for us. And I think why Paul ends this prayer with this passage that I'm now going to end today's sermon with. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. The glory that is us loving one another and loving others. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.